0: You're listening to the Agony Column news report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more 5 days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotron.com/agony. I'm speaking with Melinda Lowe, her new novel is Ash. Thank you for joining me, Melinda. Thank you for having me. Melinda, this is a really fascinating uh, fantasy take. Talk about creating this fantasy world that you have.
1: Well, when I started uh, working on Ash, I was actually a grad student in anthropology at the time, so I kind of approached it as a grad student would. (laughs) I did a lot of reading of old folklore about fairies um, and a lot of uh, cultural criticism about fairy tales. So that's really where um, I started to work out how my version of Cinderella would be different from all the other versions that have been written. As you know, there are a lot.
0: (laughs) Actually, I didn't know there were a lot. So talk about the varieties of this myth and what your spin is.
1: Well, Ash is a fairly straightforward retelling of Cinderella, except for one... Sort of minor detail. (laughs) Um, Ash does not, Ash is the main character, so she doesn't fall in love with Prince Charming, she falls in love with another woman. Uh, That's the major spin on it. Uh, But also, my version of Cinderella does not have a fairy godmother, it has a male fairy figure who does help Ash you know, go to the ball and stuff like that. But he's based very much in Irish folklore and tradition. So he's not really like that bubbly Disney version. (laughs) He's a little bit scarier and his gifts have a price for her.
0: One of the things I, I loved about the segment you read was this the gritty detail of the hunt. That's Those hunts are really scary, and it has a kind of a powerful, you really feel sorry for the stag at the very end of it.
1: <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad you felt sorry for the stag as I was reading it. I actually was thinking, wow, this, this is pretty violent. I'd forgotten, actually, um, how bloody it was. But, you know, they're killing an animal. It's not going to be a happy little thing, necessarily. So
0: Did you study hunts because you have a really good, you get a feel for that. Did you actually go on one of those things?
1: No, I did not go on a hunt, but I I did read a lot about um, hunting and particularly the medieval hunt. Um, You know, hunting in the Middle Ages, in, in poetry and literature anyway, was often very symbolic of the love chase. And I really liked that angle because Cinderella is a love story and I wanted to have this kind of hunt in it. And so I did read about medieval hunts and the various things they u- they did to track the stag and all of that stuff.
0: Now, given the the spin that you put this on, this really has a lot of uh, echoes and pertinence and relevance in, in to, you know, our, our modern age, as, as I guess we'd put it. <laughs> so talk about um, working those echoes out, you know, your experiences, you know, our cultural experiences... Uh, and resetting them in this uh, fantasy world that you've created?
1: Well, you know, I think that what when I decided to turn into a lesbian Cinderella, I basically decided to avoid all issues of homophobia by um, making it so that the country, the kingdom in ash, is totally okay with gay people. <laughs> so I kind of place them at a more advanced level of development than our modern culture today. <laughs> so, you know, so Ash gets to fall in love with whoever she wants to, and the fact that it's a woman, it makes no difference. Everyone is totally fine with that, and no one even blinks an eye.
0: Talk about this kind of idea. I love this idea of the the price of the fairy wish, because that's a, that's a really classic trope in the fantasy genre, and it it talks a lot about this kind of... One of the things I like about fantasy is that it allows us to externalize see the kind of interior conflicts that we can't really talk about otherwise.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, I knew that... I wanted to have a fairy in the book, but reading all that folklore, you know, I said I was a grad student, I was reading all this old folklore about fairies, and they're mean. (laughs) You know, and they want want things from you, so they will help humans, but never for free. (laughs) And so it was very clear to me that Ash would have to pay a price for getting this help. I mean, she gets quite a a lot of stuff from this fairy. And so, you know, it was, I I didn't want it. One of the things that always disappointed me in, in traditional tales of cinderella is that basically she gets all this stuff for for nothing and i i didn't it didn't really work for me and i did like the angle of her having to pay for it basically
0: talk about you, you talked about uh, the research into fairy tales fairy tales are a really interesting form of literature they're kind of like warning fiction so so what are we being warned against in this fiction
1: Well, that's so interesting because there is a conversation in the book between Ash and the King's Huntress about fairy tales because Ash really loves fairy tales. And throughout the novel, there are a lot of fairy tales. She reads them. Other people tell them to her. She tells them to other people. So she discusses with Kaisa, the King's Huntress, what these fairy tales mean. And she actually does say that they're a warning, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, I don't know that... um, ash itself is a warning of any sort but you know i it's it's true that um had she listened to the fairy tales she would have realized you know that asking this fairy for all these gifts was definitely not going to be for free i I think she read them and she enjoyed them much that she never really internalized that (laughs) that part of it
0: talk about uh creating you know characters who live in a fantasy world but that people who don't live in a fantasy world can connect with?
1: Um, You know I really tried to make Ash accessible to non-fantasy readers uh, because I wanted it to be available to you know I wanted it to be accessible you know so for that reason, I decided to use some names that were not entirely unusual. You know, Ash's mother's name is Eleanor, her, her stepsisters are Anna and Clara. They're not like really weird names. And also, there's no name for the kingdom. A lot of fantasy, high fantasy, especially, you know, there are lots of interesting names and po- political alliances and all that stuff. And sometimes that can be a barrier to entry, I think, for non-fantasy readers. So in Ash, it is very normal to a certain extent and the people in Ash's world don't really believe in fairies anymore so Ash herself throughout the book is coming to grips with the fact that yes these fairy tales that she has read actually can be true.
0: Could you tell us a little bit about your history as a writer? What made you decide to make your first novel a a fantasy? I mean, you're a graduate student. Why not just write a a kitchen window epiphany novel?
1: Oh, well, (laughs) I, you know, I've been writing since I was a kid. I think ever since I learned how to pick up a pencil and write, you know, I've been writing. And when I was a teenager, I wrote three fantasy novels when I was in high school. So, I have to say, writing Ash was basically coming back to what I began doing. And I dropped out of grad school because I couldn't stand <laughs> academia. And uh, then I went into journalism, so I'd been writing a lot of nonfiction entertainment reporting for years. I did that while I was writing Ash, and I knew when, it, when I decided to write Ash that I wanted to retell Cinderella from the... I knew it right away, because when I was a kid, that was my favorite fairy tale, <laughs> and I'd never read it retold in a way that I liked. So it was really me writing the book I'd always wanted to read. And I'm very glad that it took me back to fantasy.
0: Do you intend to continue writing fantasy? I mean, is this something that you read?
1: I do read it. I mostly these days read young adult fantasy because Ash was sold as a young adult novel. So I am reading a lot of YA fantasy, and there's a lot of good YA fantasy and a lot of mediocre YA fantasy, but you know, it's the same everywhere, right? I I do really enjoy reading it. And my next book is also fantasy. It's actually set in the same world as Ash. Uh, It's called Huntress, but it's set maybe a thousand years earlier. So there aren't really any crossover characters, it's a completely different story, but it is set in the same world even though the world looks really different. (laughs)
0: You you worked in journalism, and I'm wondering how your work as a nonfiction writer, just grinding out stuff where it absolutely has to be perfectly quotable and or else somebody's going to come and get you. How did that contrast with your ability to just go out and create an entire world?
1: Oh, well, it was hard. It was hard when you say grinding out stories. You know, by the end of it, it did feel like that. (laughs) Because I had been doing it and it was so not as fulfilling as (laughs) writing a fiction. But I still really enjoyed it, you know. And the thing that I was doing was LGBT journalism. So um, I really came to understand that there were a lot of readers out there who wanted to see a book in which there is a lesbian romance where everything ends happily. You know, I just knew there were thousands and millions of readers out there who just wanted to read that kind of story. So actually, it gave me the courage to continue working on Ash because when I just, at first I thought that writing a lesbian Cinderella was like a ridiculous idea (laughs) and I would be laughed out of town and it would never work. So I'm actually really glad I had that job at the same time because it really helped me to see that it was important to do it and to keep going.
0: Could you talk about your work in the publishing world?
1: Sure. Well, right after college, when I was, you know, a knowledgeable 21-year-old, I was an editorial assistant for two years at Valentine Books. I worked um, on their mystery fiction line and read a lot of slush, as the most editorial assistants do. Um, I, it was interesting because I went into that job thinking that I should work in publishing, and I left it realizing, you know, I wanted to be a writer, not an editor. And so it was a very eye-opening experience, but I do really think it was valuable to me. It, it, to, it really made me, it taught me what to expect when I was going into this publishing experience as an author, you know, because I'd already had that, I'd been on the other side. So I think I was a little bit more realistic going into it than some people.
0: <laughs> Did you discover any mystery writers?
1: Um, I did. I pulled one author out of the slush pile. Her name is Judy Fitzwater. And they published, I think, five mass market mysteries by her. The first one was called Dying to Get Published.
0: <laughs> that sounds like a, a very appropriate way to, to get your foot in the door.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Now, um, you, you're working on a, a novel set a thousand years in the past. Do you think you might go out of uh, the fantasy genre?
1: Oh, Yes. <laughs> I do think that. And I'm really superstitious, so I'm not going to say anything more, but definitely more in the future, I would say, goes in that angle.
0: I've been speaking with Melinda Lowe. Her first novel is Ash. Thank you for joining me, Melinda.
1: Thank you so much.